The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 1, is where we'll be today. Last week, we looked at some things. Last week, as we looked at verses 2 through 4, we, uh, we learned some things about suffering. Now, agree or disagree. Now, this is, you need to participate here. Agree or disagree. Information and wisdom are not the same thing. If, you, if you'd say, that's, that's true, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Information and wisdom are not the same thing. We live in the information age where you can find out literally about pretty much anything in just a few seconds by pulling out your smartphone. Even while I'm here today preaching to you, you can, you know, do what you shouldn't be doing and get on your smartphone and and Google things. And you can find out things. But there is a difference between information and wisdom. You ever bought something from the store that required assembly? says on the package, some assembly required, and you think, you open it up and say, some? They didn't put anything together. And you unwrap these instructions, and you begin to look at them, and you say, I've got all the information that I need right here, but I have no wisdom as far as where I'm supposed to start. That ever happened to anybody else? There is a difference between information and wisdom. Last week, we looked at, we learned that trials can be joy when God is our goal. David Platt said that. Trials can be joy when God is our goal. When we looked at that passage last week where he says, look, when you encounter various trials, consider it all joy, my brothers. We look at that and we think, really? But when God is our goal, when he is sovereignly, when we understand that he is sovereignly making us what we are not for our own good and for his glory, then we can rejoice in the middle of trials. And in that song that we just sang, in all of our suffering, Jesus is better. In all of our victory, Jesus is better. We understand that suffering as well as victory can be trials. Sometimes affluence can bring trials, can't it? And it's in whatever you're going through in life, sometimes you know that you're supposed to consider it joy and you're supposed to persevere under it for the glory of God and your good, but sometimes you don't know how. It's like you're opening those instructions and you're looking at them and you're saying, but I just don't know how. I don't know where to get started. Well, that brings us to our passage today. When you're going through trials, you need wisdom. But where can wisdom be found? Job asked the same question when Job was suffering as much or more than probably any human being on, on earth has ever suffered. When Job is suffering, he asks the question, where can wisdom be found? And he goes through it in, in chapter 28, verses 1 through 11. He, and this is not my passage, but he, he goes through and he says, look, man can turn the earth over. He can dig through all the dirt and he can uncover all these precious stones and, and all these precious minerals. But he can't find where wisdom comes from. And he, he says there in chapter 28 in verses 12 through 14, he goes on and he says, look, if, if you could go somewhere to find wisdom, you'd go there. Isn't that true? In the middle of a trial, nobody has to tell you that you need wisdom. You're in the middle of a trial and you're saying, help. Nobody has to tell you that you need it. And if, if there was somewhere that you knew you could go, wouldn't you go there? 
He also says there in, in chapter 28 of Job in 15 through 19 that if, if there was a price you could pay, you'd pay it, wouldn't you? Even if you didn't have the resources on hand, you'd find a way to get the resources to get what you need in the middle of that trial. If you could search for it, he says in 20 through 22, if you could search for it and find it, would you ever stop looking? If you just had the hope of saying, look, it's been promised that if I search for it, I can find it, you'd never stop looking. Because if you're in that kind of trial, in that dark, dark, dark hour where you need relief and you need wisdom, you'd never stop looking for it. What the Bible's going to tell us here and what Job tells us there in the rest of chapter 28 is that there is a place you can go. There is a price that can be paid. There is a place that you can look And it is to forsake this world and turn to God. God is the place where wisdom comes from. I want to read this passage for us this morning. I want to dive right in. James chapter 1. Look with me at verse 5. And we're going to read verses 5 through 8. The Bible says here, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now let's just start right where the text starts. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you lack wisdom. Because all of us in here lack wisdom. There are times when all of us would say, Good night, I just need somebody to tell me what to do, right? None of us are there. We're all, we, we all do dumb things from now and then. Verse 4, we learn that the goal is to be perfect and complete and to be lacking in nothing. But here in verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. So it connects the two that in the middle of the trial, the trial is given to you so that it will create perseverance, so that perseverance will create perfection, completeness, lacking in nothing But then he acknowledges that these people that he's writing to, they're not there yet. That as it stands, they and we all are lacking in wisdom. Anybody ever done anything dumb? I'm not asking you to advertise. I'm not asking you to blurt it out what you've done. I watched a guy one time, though, when I was in high school in shop class. He he brought one of those big remote control cars to school for whatever reason. I have no idea. He took the battery pack off this thing and in the middle of class took a paper paper clip, a wire paper clip, and just decided for the heck of it to see what it would do if he bent that paper clip and stuck it into the battery terminal. Branded his fingers. Would you say wise thing to do or unwise thing to do? Pretty unwise, right? The scar that's there permanently on his fingers, he would say, I will never do that again. I would hope he would say, I would never do that again. He wasn't quite the brightest bulb in the chandelier, if you know what I'm saying. But but he needed wisdom. As a a young husband, Lana and I will be married 19 years this, this summer, but as a young husband in our first year of marriage, I was so eager to impress her. One day her car quit, side of the road. I knew nothing about mechanic work. I just decided I'll be the husband, though, and I'll go out there and I'll get this thing running and I'll 
impress my wife. And I went to the car, and it wouldn't start. And I thought, well, it's probably going to be the battery, or it's going to be the alternator. And I figured out, it, for some reason, I, I decided, you know, the, the right thing to do here, and, and those of you who are mechanically inclined, please don't laugh too hard at me, because this is really, like, vulnerable for me to share this. But I decided the right thing to do would be to take the alternator off and go and, 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 and take this thing and, and, and get a, a rebuilt alternator or, or buy a new one. I'll put this thing back on. It'll run fine, and, uh, and we'll get her going. And she'll be so impressed. And I went through all of that, and they tested the alternator, and it was just fine. Tested the battery. It was just fine to find out the car was out of gas. <laughs> now, to my defense, the gauge was broken. And it was registering that it had some gas in it, but it didn't have any gas in it. Now, you laugh at me, but you've done equally, maybe not equally, but some dumb things, right? We've all done dumb things. We all need wisdom from time to time. Would we not do some things differently if, we, if we'd only had more information? Aren't there some things that you'd say, when if, if I had the complete story, all the information, I probably would have handled that differently. If you'd have had maybe a different perspective and not, not been coming from emotion in some situations, would you not have done that differently? If you could have seen the end from where you were and, and foresaw all of how it was going to play out and all that was going to happen, would you maybe not in that situation have done something differently? See, all of us need wisdom from time to time. And in the middle of trials, the one thing that you need is wisdom. We know that God intends trials to produce opportunities for us to persevere so that we might ultimately become mature. But we don't always respond that way, do we? See, when trials come our way, that we, we, can, we can react in a number of different ways that sometimes are good and godly and other times they're not. See, trials can produce in you, as one pastor said, they can produce in you a response of fight. You're going to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're going to work your way through this. You're going to come against this thing, and you're going to get yourself out of this. They can produce in you a response of flight. You can say, I'm, gonna, I'm getting out of here. I want out of this. And this is probably a lot of times what we do when trials come our way. We just say, how do I get out of this? I want this trial off of me. They can produce in us fright. We just freak out, and we're not, we know we should stay, but, but we don't know what to do, so we just freak out, and we begin to run around frantically, or they can produce faith. They can produce this trust in God, this, I don't understand what's going on, but I know God is in the middle of this, and I'm going to trust him. And this is what James is talking about when he's writing to these believers that are scattered throughout the region learning to live in places where they are not readily received. And James writes to them, look, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God. Are you, are you ever, think about God, are you ever going to come up to, to, with a question that's ever going to stump God? I mean, think through in your mind right now, what would you ask God that would stump him? Are you ever going to ask God a question that he's going to say, you know, I, I don't know. Are you ever going to ask God a question where he's going to say, you know what, let me think about that a while and I'll get back with you? There's never going to be a question that you're going to stump God. I'll do that with you. 
You'll come to me with a question, something about the Bible somewhere that I have no clue about. And I'll say to you, you know, let me think about that a while and I'll get back with you. Because I'm not omniscient. But God is. What are you going to come up with that's going to stump God? I want to read this for you. I don't normally read really long passages of Scripture for you. But when God responds to Job in Job 38 through 41 or 42 or so, it's beautiful. And I'm not going to read all of those chapters, but I'm going to read a large section of this because I just want you to hear God responding to Job who almost, insi- almost insinuates that God's not responding to him according to his character. Listen to Job 38. He says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So God says, okay, let me give you some questions, big boy. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? I love just thinking about that. Who sunk? Who sunk the foundation? What's it rooted to of the earth? The planets. I mean, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where's the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man to satisfy the the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, or can you guide the bear with its children? Or do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? 
Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and stay and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie and wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? To Do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. Who has left the wild donkey free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt, salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture, and he searches every green thing. Is the wild, is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great? And will you leave him to your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but they are the the pinions and plumage of love. For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His his majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valleys and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. He, his eyes behold it from, from afar. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is he. Skip down just a few verses and look at verse 8 of chapter 40 of Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? I mean, after all of that and, and, and even more, I, I left out so much there. Even after all this questioning, God looks at Job and says, Will you still put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. I mean, think about that. There is a limit to the glory and splendor that we can give ourselves. 
And the longer we live on this earth, we realize the more and more fleeting that is. But God's glory never diminishes. It is his whether we give it to him or not. We don't increase his glory. He is altogether infinitely glorious with, it, with or without our praise. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in all the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. I read that you say, well, why would you take so much time out of the sermon this morning and read to us so much of just Scripture, just reading to us? Because I want you to feel the weight. I want you to feel the weight of the wisdom of God. Is there anything that you're going to ever come up against that's going to stump God? We know that God knows everything, but what do we often do? We try to handle it ourselves, don't we? Even though when we're in the middle of a trial, we know this is not beyond God's might. It's not beyond his wisdom. But sometimes the last place we turn is to God. And the first place we turn is to ourselves. Now imagine with me, if you will, some of you are golfers in the room. Imagine with me playing a round of golf, getting to play a round of golf, a best ball tournament. And here, is your, here are your playing partners. You're playing with Tiger Woods. You're playing with Jack Nicklaus. And you're playing with Ben Hogan. When they were, you know, ben, ben Hogan's dead, but when they were alive and in their prime, okay? Th- these are your playing partners. Imagine playing with them. You're the fourth man on the team, but never wanting any advice. Coming up to the ball and standing over the ball and, and knowing my grip's probably off or whatever, and hearing Tiger Woods from behind you say, <clears throat> you know, you might ought to, and just saying, uh, Tiger, I didn't do that to you. Can you imagine that? Jack Nicholas, you're standing over a putt. Um, uh, uh, Scott, if you would, Jack, imagine that. Why would you ever? These are some of the greatest golfers who have ever lived. Why would you reject and refuse wisdom that they might offer you? Well, I hope you see my point. Why would we? Reject and refuse the wisdom of the one who is infinitely wise. Who says to us, ask me. Ask me and I'll give you wisdom. Just ask me. Why would we reject that? Especially when we read how eager he is to give it to us. Look at the last part of verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives wisdom generously to all without reproach. Now, God's response is directly related to his character. We read here that God gives generously. God's response is, is directly related to his character. He's a generous God. This word generously here can mean either generous as in willing and ready to give, but it can also mean something a little different. It can mean simple singular. And here's what I think is going on here. James here is pointing to to more than the fact that God is generous. God is indeed generous. Daniel Doriani says God's gifts are pure gifts. 
They neither return a favor previously given nor expect a favor in return. God's gifts don't become debts. God's just generous. Would we all say that God is generous? But I think James is pointing to here more than God's generosity. He's also, as one commentator writes, singular and undivided in his intention to give us those gifts that we need to please him. I mean, he knows what he's commanded of us. He knows what he expects of us. And he is dead set on giving us what we need in order to achieve that. Isn't that good? That it's not just, here's what I want from you, and then, oh yeah, I got all the tools for that, but you can't borrow my tools. No, instead, our God says, here's what I expect of you, and here's everything you'll need. James, we we learned earlier that James is the little brother of Jesus. And while he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God before the cross, we know that at some point after the cross, when Jesus appeared to him in that resurrected body, James became a believer. And we see here in this this book, all throughout this book, James is, is almost quoting Jesus' teachings. So even while James wasn't a believer, he was listening to his little brother. He was picking up these things. He's there at the Sermon on the Mount, and he's hearing these things. He's hearing Jesus teach. Listen to this. Listen to how similar this is. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Ask, and it will be given you. For everyone who asks receives. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. I would tell you today, church, that some of you are here and you've had a father that was not generous and it was not dead set on giving you what you need. You had an earthly father that, that was cruel, that was demanding, that was hard on you, that set you up to fail and almost seemed to rejoice in that failure. Let me tell you something. God's not like that dad. Do you hear me? God's not like that dad. Stop putting the faults of your earthly father, if this is the case for you, on the heavenly father. Our God is generous, and he's dead set to give us what we need to please him. Not only is he generous here, and I believe, before I move on, I believe that as children of God, while we can't do anything about our earthly fathers and the example maybe that they set for us, and some of you had great earthly dads, But we can do something about the impression and the character that will be reflected through our lives. As children of God, whether you are a man or a woman in this room, all throughout this, when James is saying, brothers, 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 it really probably should be translated brothers and sisters. He's talking to male, female alike in this this congregation that's dispersed. Whether you're a man or a woman, but if you're a child of God, it means that you too should be generous that we should be some of the most generous people on the planet, but that we also should be sincere, that we should be people of integrity, that we should be dead set on living, obedient, God-honoring lives. In the same way that God is dead set on giving us what we need, we should be dead set in our living as children of God to please Him in our living. Not only that, God's character is not only generous and dead set on giving us what we need, but also great, great two words here, without reproach. 
When we, when we come and we ask God for wisdom, God, I'm in the middle of this trial. God, help. God, would you please give me wisdom? What you'll never hear from God is, I've told you this a thousand times. Right? You'll never hear from God. Why didn't you do it that way before? You'll never hear God say, you should already know this. You'll never hear that from God without reproach. God doesn't scold us for not already having the wisdom that we need. God doesn't look at us down his nose and say, I guess. God doesn't scold us for not coming to him sooner. Or you could have avoided a lot of this mess if you just came to me sooner. It's not the response of our God. God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him come and ask me, and I will give him generously without reproach. Isn't that good? We should never hesitate to ask God for the wisdom that we need. He is already he already has all the wisdom that we need. We saw that as we walked through that long passage in Job. He is dead set on giving us what we need. He will never scold us for turning to Him. Why, 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 why would we try to find wisdom other places? Now look at, look at here. Look, look at the, the, the beggar's certainty. When the, when the beggar comes and he says, God, I don't know what to do. God, you do. Would you give me wisdom? Verse 5, the end of it. It will be given him. That's that's a good word right there. It will be given him. But look at the doubter's instability. The beggar has certainty, but the doubter has instability. Verses 6 and then 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How many of you have ever been seasick? Is there a worse feeling in the world? I don't know if there is. There probably is, but it's pretty bad. When you're out there miles from shore and you're on this boat and the waves are rolling, and you don't know which way they're coming next, and you're just all over this place, and you're sick. Lana and I on our honeymoon decided it'd be a great idea in the Cayman Islands to go deep sea fishing. Don't do that on your honeymoon. Ethan and Emily, y'all are going to Disney World, so you don't have to worry about that there, but there are probably some rides that you don't need to go on, okay? Because I felt like I was on the worst ride of my life, and I was there, again, newlywed, trying to impress my new wife, hard to do that when you're throwing up everywhere. And I decided the best thing to do was to get away from her. Didn't want her seeing me that way. So I went down into the bottom of that boat into the bathroom. And I just feel sorry for those that had to clean up the bathroom afterwards, trying to be as discreet and, and as non-graphic as I can be. But there's nothing like being seasick. And you're out there and you're, you're sick as a dog, but you realize you go, you go back up and you look out and there's no land yet. How long to land? Oh, we're not going in for a while. We, we're catching fish. I'll be down there. And you try to get comfort, and you can lay down, and you get everywhere you can try to get, and you just can't get any relief, and you just want it to come to an end. And when that 
boat finally docks and you get off that boat, you promise yourself, I will never get on a boat ever again in my life, right? If you've been seasick, you know that feeling. This is what he says it's like for the person who doubts. For a person who says, oh God, I don't know what to do. God, please help me. But you know, if I... And this person is... is, It's like they're on the sea and they're unstable because they're just back and forth and they're going here and there trying to one minute trust God and want His his wisdom, but the next minute they're off and they're over here trying to trust in something else. And this person may not be physically sick like I was on that day, but there is a sickness there that is unlike any other. They're unstable. They are back and forth. They vacillate from trusting God one minute to trusting the world or or themselves the next. They doubt. The word doubt here means to differentiate, to create distinctions, to judge, to dispute. In other words, as I've heard Travis Harrison say, it's the yeah buts. It's the, the, God, I know your word says, but... Based on what we have discussed about God, does it ever make sense to respond to him with, yeah, but? The doubter is not only unstable, but he is poor. I want you to see the doubter's poverty. Verse 7, he says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. To which we have to ask the question, okay, well, but wait a minute. There are sometimes I pray and I really want the wisdom of God, but I pray, I try to trust the Lord. I'm trying to believe, but, but doubt creeps in. Does that mean that if I ever have any inkling of doubt that God's never going to answer that prayer? Well, if you have any history of walking with the Lord, you know that that's not always the case. Sometimes you're praying and you're trying hard to believe, but doubts are creeping in, but God answers the prayer anyway. James is not here saying that we must pray with 100% sincerity, with no doubt whatsoever, if we have any hopes of getting our prayers answered. That's not what he's saying. In fact, it would be in this state, in, in our weakness here, in this side of heaven, it would be almost impossible to never have doubts. There are times when we're up against situations and circumstances where it just seems impossible. And we know God's able, but in our weakness... It's just hard to believe. And that's why you read prayers in Scripture that say, Lord, help my unbelief. Here's what he's pointing to. He's not saying that it must always be without any doubt if God's going to answer. What he instead is saying, if the pattern of your life Again, this is the pattern. The pattern of your life does not show a consistent trust in God. It reveals to you a much deeper issue. If you're never praying prayers of faith, but you're always doubting, always vacillating between trust and... and If you're always that, then it reveals to you a much deeper issue, and that issue is that you're not saved. You're not a believer. Because I told you in the beginning, when I, a couple of weeks ago, when we looked at verse 1 in James, that this is going to be the hardest book that we have gone through probably together thus far in five years of being your pastor. 
probably the hardest book because it is so practical. But it is, a, it is a book to rejoice in because in this book he's giving us a test to show us the genuineness of our faith. And so if there is a pattern here of your life saying, God, help my unbelief. God, I need wisdom. I want to trust you. I don't want to turn to the world. God, would you please, would you please help me to stick with you? Give me wisdom to know what to do, to how to, how to persevere in this. And occasionally you turn from that and make mistakes. That's one thing. But if the pattern of your life is headed over here and you're always looking to self-help books and you're always looking to yourself to get yourself out of the mess that you created, it reveals to you that you're not a believer. Douglas Moo said this, The doubter does not possess an anchor of the soul and therefore does not pray to God with a consistency and sincerity of purpose. He is prey to the shifting winds of motive and desire. He wants wisdom from God one day and the wisdom of the world the next. So I would ask you today the question, if you're here today, what does your prayer life What does your asking reveal about you? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you a believer? Are you turning to the one that you know is infinitely wise and so generous and so sitting on go, ready to give you what you need? Or are you constantly looking other places? Do you need today to turn from your sin and trust Christ as Savior? I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. If you're here, and this is just practical walking out of this text, you say, okay, if I'm to ask for wisdom, God's generous, he's ready to give, then where am I going to find that wisdom? Practically, he wrote a book. Look to the book. Everything that he has deemed that you need to know, he's given you in the Bible. Ask him for his wisdom and then turn to the book. Chances are he's already revealed to you the wisdom you need in the Bible. Secondly, as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And the the Holy Spirit is said to be the one who will lead us into all truth, who will steer us, who will guide us. Trust him. Third, look to the church around you. Look to the other believers, the godly counsel. If there are people here that you say, you know what, They, they, they look like they're leading a godly life, and I believe they could probably give me a different perspective here and help me out. Feel free to go and talk to them. Sometimes God speaks through the counsel of godly believers. And then fourth, there are occasions where there are things that are outside of those. You're sick. Well, go to a doctor. You can find wisdom in going to a doctor. So there, there's some areas for you to go to get wisdom, and God has provided all of those. God has provided special revelation in the, the Bible. God's re- provided general revelation in people like doctors and personal trainers and financial advisors and others. Go see them. But do so only after you've asked God, God, give me the wisdom. Then be ready to find it because he is generous and ready to give. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you that you have loved us, that you've loved us by sending Jesus. God, I pray that today that we would see the gospel in this message. God, that we would see that you are altogether good. And God, that the ultimate gift of wisdom that you have given us is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
God, I pray for those that are here today that are going through trials. Lord, would you indeed help them to turn to you, to lean on you, to turn away from seeking wisdom in worldly places, but instead to come to you, to ask you, God. We know that you know it all, and we know that you're generous and ready to give. There's no fear in coming to you. So, God, I pray, whether we're right now, there are those who are in the middle of a storm, and God, there are those that in just a few days ahead will be going through a storm. Maybe in months and years ahead we'll be going through a storm. God, would you bring this to, to bear in our lives? Sink it deep into the foundation of our souls that we would be quick to turn to you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. The sermon is never finished until you respond to the hearing of that sermon. And so Ethan's going to lead us in song. If I can help you, I'm going to be seated right down here on the front. If today you need to come and receive Christ as Savior, I'd love to talk with you. If today you're here and you just need someone to pray with you, you can come to me. You can turn to a brother or sister that's sitting near you. Or you can head out that door or that door and Right on the other side of that wall is a prayer room, and there are brothers and sisters that would be willing to pray with you. They're not there to counsel you. They're simply there to be the body of Christ to you, to pray with you. So feel free to to head out there. Today, if you're here and you say, this is the church I believe God is leading me to join, we'd love to talk about that. Whatever the case may be, respond to God today with a yes Let's worship him as we respond. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.